The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Howdy, y'all, and welcome back to Pod of Chat. <laughs> After that, you might think that I've been watching a little bit too much of, uh, what is it, Hoda and Jenna? You know, that Jenna uh, Bush Hager, she replaced Kathy Lee and Hoda. But yeah, no, uh, that's just the little bit of Texas that I have in me coming out. Uh, thank you for coming back and listening to another episode. Um, I I feel like so much has been going on lately. I'm just trying to keep everything straight. Um, <laughs> what ha- What is new in my life? I had an article that finally came out in Point Magazine on... Hong Kong Ballet, uh, and if you haven't been listening to the past, I don't know, six months, seven months of episodes, uh, over the holidays, I visited Southeast Asia with my husband on a trip, and while we were there, my editor with Point Magazine asked if I would profile the company, so we had a great time doing that, um, and then just happened to run concurrently with that article releasing, Hong Kong Ballet also just put out their 40th anniversary promo video. Um, and I didn't know this was coming out, but they did an amazing job. It's one of the most interesting ballet promotions I've seen ever. So, uh, if you get a chance, you should go over to their YouTube channel and check that out. Other than that, my schedule has been changing (laughs) a lot unexpectedly over the past couple of weeks. Um, so I still am not going to announce where yet, um, but I'm going to be teaching at a convention in... Biloxi, Mississippi will be my first time in the state. Um, I'll be doing that in July and I'll tell you exactly what that convention is as soon as they announce it. Um, and then I'll actually be flying out to Los Angeles to visit family. Um, and that's going to be the week of July. It's something like July 11th or 12th or 13th, something like that. And I'll be there for about 10 days. So I'll be out in LA if anybody in the Los Angeles area or Orange County area um, wants to reach out to me for teaching or choreography. I might have some availability during that time. Also, I've just been sort of playing around with my schedule and seeing what's happening. And I've just decided to shift things a little bit so that I have a little bit more availability. So if anybody locally in New York or around the country or world uh, is interested in having me out to teach, um, just reach out to me on my contact page. Uh, it's com. I'll spell it out for you at the end of the podcast. Um, but yeah, this, it's a rare opportunity. Usually my schedule is like completely packed, but I'm just trying to find new inspiration this summer and trying to give myself a, a few little breaks. So it's like, instead of committing fully to any any long-term summer plans i'd rather do like shorter bouts um so that i can get a little bit more time to myself i've i've been feeling the need to uh 
you know, sort of uh, recharge my myself. And so I'm taking some steps to have a few days off in a row. It's one of our friends, uh, Jay Roche, we're going to the beach staying in a beach house we'll have a little private beach for a couple of days um i'm also trying to do like a staycation at home um so i'm looking for like new fun short-term teaching uh for the summer instead of committing to like my regular crazy commute um we all go through periods where we need to sort of like you know rest and recharge and i'm feeling like i need one of those before i move forward and push to launch my company movement headquarters ballet company at the next who knows six months or so i don't have any dates set yet but what else other than that i am uh i'm actually gonna have an in-studio performance that will be uh announced in the near future that will be a pre-launch event for movement headquarters but i'm not going to go into more details about that but stay tuned for that announcement and then also i will be teaching uh i mean you you all have heard my broadway dance center schedule um i'll be adding saturday classes advanced beginner ballet classes at 10 30 a.m on saturdays and intermediate contemporary classes on saturdays june 15th until august 31st that'll be my additional summer schedule at broadway dance center on top of my ballet classes on tuesdays thursdays and fridays and i'll also be teaching at their teacher training uh the first week weekend of august so I think my workshop, I'm not completely sure yet, but I think my workshop is going to be how uh, ballet technique influences contemporary dancing. So uh, check out my social media for all that information, or you can always reach out to me if you're curious, or check out Broadway Dance Center's website. All right, moving on. I feel like it took me forever to do that intro. Um, I apologize for that, (laughs) but I'm not going back and editing it. Um, But yeah, so... It's been a long while since I've done a listener request, and it just happens that Robert from San Francisco emailed me, I think it was like a week ago, with a very specific request that I read, and I couldn't believe that I've never dedicated an episode to this topic. So first off, thank you, Robert, for te- for reaching out to help me uh, make sure that I continue demystifying the dance world. Uh the request pertained to promotions with ballet companies. Uh, so that's what I'm going to talk about today. I like how I said first before the last thing and like I had something second to say, but I really only had one thing to say. We're talking about promotions and ballet companies today, people. So how do they happen? Who makes those decisions? What requirements must be met for promotions? It's about time that I broached this topic. So today, let's talk Promotions. All right, so before we talk promotions, okay, I'm like, let's talk promotions, but wait a second. Uh, First, we need to discuss ranks for dancers, and I have done a podcast on this in the past, so you can look back in my my feed on the Premier Dance Network website to find this. Um, But just the basic structure of most American companies are you have students in the school and they go through all their levelings and then usually the final year of school is the the finishing training the final two years is finishing training Uh, but once you sign a contract with a company the basic structure is that you are an apprentice which is like the transition between a student and a professional and then you have the corps de ballet which is the body of the ballet and they perform a majority of their work is in the group sections of dances and the the, maybe more in quartet work and anything from like that to bigger uh then you have the soloists they perform the solos so if you think of a ballet like 
I don't know. What do we want to do today? Let's say Romeo and Juliet would be Mercutio. If you had Midsummer's Night Dream, it could be Puck or it could be uh, Hermia and Lysander, like the, the two couples where they they get confused because they're put under a spell about who's in love with who. Um, it could be in Giselle. Let's go with Giselle. Not, I was going to say Capella. Uh, but in Giselle, it would be the peasant, pas de deux, uh, those kind of roles. So those are the soloists um, that do more featured roles. And then you have the principals who do the leading roles, which would be like Romeo and Juliet. That would be Romeo and Juliet. Or if it was Don Quixote, it would be Basilio and Kitri. Um, if it was Swan Lake, it would be Odette, Odile, and uh, Prince Siegfried. So those are the principals. Now, that's generally how it is when you are in an American ballet company. If you're in a European ballet company, a lot of these company, the, these organizations, because they are more, uh, they're government funded, they have more money, um, they have more dancers and more ranks. Uh, in the United States, you will find a small handful of companies that have more ranks. Uh, thinking just off the top of my head, I know Boston Ballet definitely has that. Sarasota Ballet has it um i just saw an article i didn't get a chance to read it but it looks like pennsylvania ballet is now incorporating additional ranks into their company as well uh and oh ballet west also adam sklutz ballet west also has ranking like this so uh essentially they're like additional soloist positions you have the apprentice positions then you have the quarter ballet position then the next rank is the demi soloist which is pretty much like if you have uh smaller featured roles that's what they would be so it'd be like the four little swans in swan lake um what else it would be like the flower girls and don quixote in the wedding pot de if they do that and that um it sounds like there's something happening outside of my apartment so if you hear sirens i apologize but that's just life of a new yorker um so yeah those would be the demi soloist roles and then uh some companies have like a first soloist and a second soloist so essentially it's just like more tiers to climb um and i actually had a conversation recently with some friends about whether and it was pertaining to the pennsylvania ballet situation but it was it was whether or not adding these extra ranks is helpful or hurtful to dancers because for some dancers it might make it take longer for them to climb the ranks but for other dancers it might give them a position uh that's a little higher than where they were even if they don't necessarily have the potential in the director's eyes to move forward um and that's a whole another conversation but i mean i got feelings about it <laughs> just because when i was in the core it would have been nice to get a little bit of extra nod to be a demi soloist um but if it's somebody who's progressing faster it might slow down their progression so um maybe i'll talk about that another day but i don't think it's enough information for its own podcast all right, so let's get back on this promotion topic. So what are the factors uh, that go into promotions? No, I don't want to do that yet. We're going we're gonna to go to that in a second. I, I want to go in a different order. This is what happens when you do things off the top of your head. So, okay, um, let's see. Okay, first off, who makes the decision about promoting dancers um i don't think that there are really honestly too many factors in in who gets to decide uh 
who's going to be promoted. Usually it's the artistic director. Of course, different people that work with dancers can help influence the director to, to make to make decisions. But in the end, it's the artistic director's choice to move a dancer up in rank or to keep them at the same rank. Um, I mean, usually a, a director will have their favorites or they'll have somebody that they see that they think that just has great potential and they want to move them, move them up and down. Um, I, I can tell you that like in my career, for instance, I was kind of overlooked the first few years of my career at Pacific Northwest Ballet, but it took... Who was it? I think it was Jill. What's her last name? Redhead. She was a stager for William Forsyth and Peter Bowl. He, he didn't select me for too many contemporary pieces, but we were doing uh, one flat thing reproduced, a William Forsyth piece with a bunch of tables. And she chose me as the first cast for this piece. And after I did that, Peter pulled me aside and he told me that she, by her making that choice, she uh, really revealed to her or sorry, she really revealed to him that I was good at contemporary style choreography. So uh, over time, he used to call me one of his contemporary specialists. Whenever we had a, a ballet that went that was more contemporary, I would usually get to dance a, a better part in it, where if it was classical, good luck, Barry, not happening. But uh, <laughs> just I'm just kidding. But yeah, so sometimes a stager can reveal a dancer to uh, an artistic director and they can help influence promotion. Um and or like a ballet master may have better favor with the director and the director really respects their their opinions so they can really influence the director to promote but in the end the director makes the choice and uh they hold that power so yeah all right when do promotions happen there again there is no rhyme or reason as to when promotions happen some companies follow a specific format for themselves but every company kind of does its own thing um when i was at houston ballet i remember sarah webb i don't think she's still with the company but sarah webb was promoted to principal spur of the moment I believe it was after the Nutcracker. She did Sugar Plum Fairy. It was something like opening night, and she got promoted on the spot. Now, do I think that the director had that in mind months before? Maybe. Uh, maybe some some money became free. I don't know why it happened then and there, but it was exciting. It was really exciting. Uh now, on, on the other hand, at Pacific Northwest Ballet, I don't think I can remember anybody ever getting promoted in the moment. And when Kent and Francia, uh, Kent Stoll and Francia Russell, the former directors of the company, I was hired by them and I danced one season under them. Um, they used to promote, I believe at the end of seasons, but when Peter Bull took over, they started doing promotions at the beginning of seasons. Um, so a lot of dancers would find out that they were promoted in January, February, March during their artistic evaluations, but their, their promotions wouldn't go into effect until September of the beginning of the new season. Uh, and then over time they started doing multiple tiers of different types of promotions. So often 
really exciting promotions would be done at the beginning of the season. And then there would also be a few promotions in January when uh, Nutcracker season was over. And I think that that came down to money because uh, Nutcracker was the biggest moneymaker for the company. And they like to have that boost of money flow, cash flow before they were going to have to pay somebody a little bit more money. Um, other places uh, like... Uh, New York City Ballet, they tend to do it at the end of their seasons. Usually the last day of their, their seasons, you'll hear whisperings that there were a few promotions. Um, and then you see companies like American Ballet Theater, and they just seem to promote whenever they feel like promoting. So um, honestly, I have, they're, they're, I have, I've seen everything, and there, there is no time to expect dances to be promoted if you if you tend to stay with a company like for instance robert when he sent me his message he asked about uh san francisco ballet because he's local to san fran um they tend to promote towards the end of their season but they had two rounds of promotions a couple weeks apart this year so even if you find what the flow of a company is in their promotions it doesn't always follow that uh that formula so yeah, promotions can happen at any time. Uh, just look at the company over a few seasons and see when it happens. And if you are really one of those people that loves to follow seasons like the draft of NFL, <laughs> um, check in to the company around that time of the year. All right, that's my advice on that. Um, okay, so now let's get back to what I said I was going to do before. So factors. What are the factors that go into promoting dancers okay so i know that the first thing that most people are going to think about is talent but in reality the very first factor that is going to determine whether dancers are going to be promoted or when they're going to be promoted is money um it costs money to promote dancers it's like any other job if you get a promotion from supervisor to manager chances are you're going to get some type of is it fiduciary uh <laughs> increase uh, so you're, you're going to make more money um, when I danced at Pacific Northwest Ballet, there was very little turnover at that company. Uh, it had a very nice contract, really great rep, beautiful dancers, beautiful facility. Seattle, a lot of people love me and eh, I don't really like it as much, but, uh, there was, there was very little turnover. Dancers rarely left the company. I think in the seven years that I danced with the company, my year had the biggest turnover we had like seven dancers leave or retire where years prior to that it was one or two dancers maybe three tops that would that would go so uh many of the dancers that are at pacific northwest ballet are actually kind of performing the duties of a different rank than they're actually listed under uh for instance when when i was there there were about five or six of us core core de ballet members that very frequently would perform soloist or principal roles. And we still were in the core and every once in a while, one of those dancers would move up into the soloist rank, but there were more dancers performing at the rank of a soul, like the duties of a soloist than there were dancers that were actually getting promoted. And that was frequently because there wasn't enough money to go into promoting dancers so chances were one of the biggest factors for promotions were when dancers were leaving the company or if they were retiring or if they were let go uh so 
essentially when a dancer would leave, uh, it would open up uh, a contract money um, <laughs> and sp- it, it, that would allow for that would that would open up and allow for space in that ranking which would essentially say that the director could move people up at pacific northwest ballet i I don't know what it is now but when i negotiated the contract the union contract it required that 46 dancers had to be hired on the roster every season so you kind of want to think of a ballet company like an orchestra um if you have, I don't know, a section of violins, you're going to have first violins, second violins, and third violins. Um, you are probably going to have a, a, a sizable amount of first violins. Um, and then in the second violin, you're going to have a fewer because they're like a lot, usually playing a lot of the harmonies. And in the third violins, I, I don't know if they have this in violins. I'm pretty sure they do. They had it in the woodwinds when I was in in, in, uh, orchestra, but, and then the third is, uh, a much bigger section because they kind of hold the sound for the, that, that section of the orchestra. So it's the same for ballet companies. You're going to have a handful more principal dancers and you're going to have a smaller amount of soloists and then a much broader base for the core dancers. So yeah, if, uh, if a dancer left the company in the, core to ballet rank they may just hire dancers from outside of the company to fill those positions or they may may move apprentices up Uh, that's what happened to me at pacific northwest ballet i was hired directly into the core to ballet but as an apprentice in houston ballet all of us were fired uh per the contract because you had to either be promoted or uh let go you could only be an apprentice for one year um so all six of us apprentices were fired and as dancers didn't sign their contracts to leave to go to other companies or they found money for new contracts they started hiring us back into the core um so yeah dancers leaving is really a major factor for uh other dancers getting opportunities to be promoted within the ranks bigger companies can just promote as they wish uh as opposed to smaller companies with less money uh having to promote during certain times um like New York City Ballet, it's probably the richest company in in the United States, and they are constantly promoting dancers, uh, which is exciting to see. But part of the reason that they're constantly promoting dancers is because they don't necessarily have to wait for space to open up as frequently because they have enough money to just sort of move dancers up um, and knowing that eventually dancers will retire or leave the company. Um but yeah, so the bigger companies, what I've been talking about is not necessarily going to be as much of a factor. Uh, but yeah, dancers leaving, major, major factor. Uh, another factor for promotion, time put in. Dancers uh, who have been performing at a certain rank for a few seasons without the recogni- recognition of rank are eventually going to need to be promoted. And and the reason that they're going to need to be need to be promoted are it's twofold. It's not only the fact that like the audience wants to see them promoted, but it's also that if you hold a dancer in a rank below what they are like the duties that they're actually performing, that's when dancers start to get jaded. I, I mean, that's the reason that I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, uh, or one of the major reasons that I did. It's because I was doing many soloist roles, but I would, I was left in the core. Um, and looking around me at the other people that were performing, they seemed more favored to be moved up to the soloist rank. And when you're dancing in that like senior core position where you're getting featured roles and then having to go back into the core, 
it's really exciting for a few years and then your body starts to really get a bat like a battering because you can only perform every single show <laughs> doing leading roles featured roles and then core roles for so long before your body starts to break down especially if you have over 100 performances a year so uh yeah time put in is definitely a, a factor in dancers getting moved forward uh sometimes there are dancers that are in the core that are are lucky and able to stick it out for 10 to 12 years uh and you see this every once in a while uh where a dancer is moved up into the soloist role when it seems like they're kind of getting towards the end of their performance career and like they don't necessarily have the potential to rise again into the principal role um and the reason for that is a out of the a out of respect for the time that they've put in um b to sort of sort of sort of so to sort of show uh their value to the company because of their seniority within the organization um and another reason for that i think honestly is because it gives hope to other dancers that haven't quite put in as much time um to stick it out even longer so that maybe they could get promoted so there's time put in is definitely a factor um talent obviously is is a major factor but one thing that i've noticed is that once you get into a company like most of the dancers there there will be a few prodigies but most of the dancers come in at the same level of talent and it's really up to the director to give opportunities and confidence to these dancers so that they can start to really step out of the crowd um uh, so I wouldn't say talent is really at the top of the list when it comes to promotions. Uh, it's a rare dancer who gets promoted based purely on prodigious talent. Um, and usually when it happens, it happens pretty quickly. Uh, so the the scheme of like rising through the ranks, it's like you either get promoted really quickly or you you can see like each company has like a certain period of time. Like I was always trying to figure out the the formula at Pacific Northwest Ballet. Like, okay, well, the really, really talented ones would get promoted to soloist within two to three years and then immediately promote to principal. I was like, but then the people, uh, if they, that, that, that last seven years, they get promoted at by on the seventh or the eighth year. And if they don't, then they're never going to get promoted. Like I had all these crazy formulas as to like what it took to become a soloist. Um, and it was interesting because there was sort of a formula, but at the same time, then there were always things that uh, that would make me question whether they were working or not. But yeah, so talent is obviously something, but it's I don't think it's the number one factor. I would say money is the number one factor, um, and dancers be like leaving the company were were also probably before talent. Um, I'd say talent and time put in are right there in the middle of the mix um this one's not like as common but i swear it has something to do with it romance and family um it's rare but sometimes dancers get promoted because they are related to another dancer or that that's higher ranked or they're romantically involved with a well-liked dancer in the company that's higher ranked and i i think that this happens to keep them uh to keep the favored dancer happy um <laughs> it's like if you have somebody who you think is going to be a principal and you have another dancer that is uh in the core and they're married and uh you're trying to keep that 
principal happy, so they'll stay in the company, but their lover is really miserable, there's a chance that they could get promoted because the director wants to keep that, that dancer happy. Um, so that they'll stay as long as possible. So um, I think that this is really rare and uncommon, but I do swear that it happens. So, I mean, if I get in trouble at this point for saying something like that, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> who am I going to get in trouble with? Um, but yeah, so that's definitely a factor. Um, I think something similar to this also happens with choreographers. Um, many great choreographers are promoted to soloists despite their dancing to validate their credentials as a choreographer. Um, I mean, I never got to really see these dancers dance, so I'm not judging them. But if you notice, uh, in New York City Ballet especially, Christopher Wielden was promoted to soloist, and then he left the company to focus on his performance career. Um, Justin Peck was promoted to soloist, and he is, I believe, leaving at the end of this season to focus on his choreographic career and to help run the company. Um, Troy Schumacher, uh, he was promoted to soloist, and he has his own company, I believe, called the... Uh, well, the collective, it's a collective dance collective. I should know this. Um, but he, he was, uh, he was recently promoted solace in the past few years. Um, it's often common for those things to happen. Uh, and I think that's to validate the dancer and again, to keep them on the roster, because if you keep some, there's something about being in the court of ballet. And I don't know if it's the way that people talk about it. Um, or if it's just the reality of the situation, but people, tend to like it's amazing to get into the quarter ballet of a major company um or even a regional company but uh if you stay there for too long it's like oh i shouldn't be doing this i should look down upon it like it's only seen as a stepping stone position when in reality it's like a great thing to be so um yeah those are the different factors uh, that are often involved in promotion. I'm sure that there could be things like sponsors. Um, I guess I left those things out. There could be like major donors in the companies or if there's a lot of press surrounding a certain person. Even today, sometimes they mention that like Instagram followers could be a source of promotion. I think that those things aren't necessarily like factors in people getting promoted. I think it's kind of like what happened with me with that uh, – repetitor for William Forsyth, who saw me uh, as a great contemporary dancer. Um, I think that really all those people can do are bring dancers to the attention of directors. I very infrequently do people have the influence to, or the financial, or use their money to influence that or magazine articles or things like that. I mean, Maybe it's different in Russia. I haven't been. If anybody wants to take me there, please do. <laughs> I flew through there on the way. I flew through Moscow and stayed in the airport for five hours on my way to Southeast Asia. But yeah, so um, in Russia, I think it might be a little bit different. There's like a completely different system and it's, it's very interesting to me. Um, but yeah, those are not direct factors. I would say those are indirect factors. All right. What's next? Are there any perks or additional duties for solos principles? Um, it just depends on the organization. Everybody's a bit different. Uh, in Houston Ballet, principals got their own dressing room and their dressing rooms were on stage. Like they weren't on stage, but they were like backstage. Like you pretty much could go out the wings into principals dressing rooms. Um, soloists had 
uh, smaller groups in their dressing rooms and core everybody core and apprentice everybody was was put into the the one dressing room so um, that was Houston Ballet Pacific Northwest Ballet all of the core and apprentice dancers were downstairs in the basement um, and all the soloists and principals were upstairs but the the principals shared a dressing room with one other dancer and the soloists were all the soloists together uh, so yes there were there were different dressing rooms I know in like major operas like companies in Europe that the dressing rooms can be like fantastically elaborate and bougie as can be um so yeah that's definitely a perk of of being a principal soloist uh part of the reason that you get those dressing rooms though is also because uh there are a lot more people to distract you when you are in the dressing room of like a, a court of ballet dressing room um so like if you're a principal dance preparing to do a principal role, you might not really want to be bothered by other people. You really need to just like focus and zone in. So there's also a function to having your own dressing room. Um, but yeah, that's a perk. Uh, it was nice at P&B that the principals and solos also didn't have to walk up the stairs or worry about an elevator. They could just walk across the hall to the stage. Uh, so yeah, that's dressing rooms. Of course, there's a salary increase that comes along. Uh, there was a time when you could, as as a principal at PNB, that you could negotiate your salary. Uh, but over time, I think that they kind of like got rid of that tradition. Uh, the union negotiates everybody's salaries from apprentice to court of ballet to soloist and principal. Um, but there was a time where principal dancers could go into the director's office and directly negotiate their salary. That would have been a nice perk. Um, other than that, like greater visibility in the organization, usually principals and soloists are more likely to be on posters and to be asked to do photo shoots for like season brochures. Um, if you look at a handful of company websites, like I know Houston Ballet and San Francisco Ballet, if you click their bios, like the core ballet, core ballet and apprentice bios are just like pictures and like names and when they join the company where like the soloists get a danced dancer photo and the principals get like a handful of their photos on the website. Um, if there's going to be an interview, whether it's on TV or for a magazine, you're a lot more likely to get asked to do an interview if you're higher ranked. Um, principal dancers or really up-and-coming dancers are way more likely to be on a cover of a magazine or asked to do... I, you see in New York all the time, there'll be like dancers doing... Uh, like sponsored ads, things like that. Um, usually dancers, like leading dancers will be invited to galas and dinners. I remember when I was at the Houston Ballet Ball, I don't know if they still do this, but uh, Houston Ballet had this like Houston Ballet Ball and only principals and were soloists invited? I think only principals and soloists were invited. So if you were an apprentice on the core, you couldn't go. So they had like a party that was called something like Not the Ballet Ball. Um, <laughs> it was kind of like a middle finger to to the ballet ball because dancers felt left out but then it became tradition and um eventually like the people from the gala would come over there i don't know if those dancers are still invited to that or if that even exists um but yeah there would be i know at pnb there would be opening night dinners and if a principal dancer wasn't dancing in the in opening night because they they dance better roles but they don't dance every night so they can save their bodies uh they might be invited to that dinner to uh talk to donors and uh, journalists and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
outside of that, like additional duties for soloists and principals, like there really aren't, I mean, yes, the duties are like, you have to lead the company when it comes to performances and you're supposed to be somebody that the younger uh, and less senior dancers look up to. Um, there aren't specifically like requirements that you have to teach class, but say, I mean, that, that, that does lead to a uh, the conversation that they will they will more often be given opportunities to grow into non-dancing roles in the organization than lower rank, rank dancers. Um, if you look at uh, ballet masters and mistresses of many companies, a lot of those people were solos and principals. If you look at teachers in the major schools across the country and world a lot of those teachers are former souls and principals with a company it's a lot less common i mean it's not unheard of but it's a lot less common for the court of ballet dancers to uh have those roles and i think it's because as a favored soloist or favored principal you have more visibility and also it kind of shows that the organization is likes you more and is more dedicated to you that you're more likely to be uh brought into the second phase of your dance career uh, with the organization. So uh, you don't necessarily, you aren't necessarily given additional duties that you have to perform, but if you want additional duties, it's a lot easier to ask for them um, on the job training experience for your second career. But yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot uh, easier to, to gain that because you're already considered more favored as a soloist or principal. Uh, I think that that's all I can think of for that right now. Um, but yeah, what, what it comes down to is there is no true basis of fairness for promotion. Uh, it could be, there, there's so many factors that go into whether a dancer is going to be promoted. And I've already mentioned money. Uh, the, the promotion could be deserved. It could be that the director likes how daring that a woman dances on stage. I had a, a, I have a friend at Pacific Northwest Ballet that, Sometimes you were afraid she was just going to fall off the stage, but she was exciting to watch and she got promoted quite quickly. Um, it could be something else as ridiculous as like the size of a male's package. If the, if the director thinks it's appealing to the audience, like it doesn't matter what his dancing is like, as long as he looks good on stage, stare at his face. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, there, there's no true basis for promoting in art it could be anything, fair or unfair. Um, it's not like sales. Like in sales, if I don't know, if I was selling, I don't know, pick something, tires for cars. If you and I were selling tires for cars and I sold $50,000 worth of tires and you sold $25,000 worth of tires and this continued for like a year, who do you think is going to get promoted? It's really unlikely you're going to get promoted. I'm going to get promoted because I'm better at selling tires than you are. Um, <laughs> clearly, there's there's like set factors that you can see in that. But when it comes to art, you, there aren't factors. Like, yes, uh, your legs could be more flexible than mine, but maybe I have like that je ne sais quoi as an actor, uh, like in my in my dancing that really like draws the audience in. Maybe her eyes are so big that they read really well on stage or maybe uh, somebody gave a lot of money because they really liked that dancer and the director felt compelled to keep that money flowing in. Um, there, there are so many different possibilities that 
there I, I couldn't tell you that like there's a fair reason for promotion. It is objective. If you put seven directors in the same company, I bet you that you if like ten years down the down the road you had you would have seven extremely different rosters. If it was all the same dancers, it'd be actually that would be a fascinating thing to see. It's impossible. It'd be fascinating to see like what the roster of dancers would look like based off of these different directors. I'd like to imagine that all decisions are based on reasonable factors and fairness, but just like ballet companies, uh, how does one judge art? How does one judge a core member who gets promoted after 10 years of service who may not be as talented against the second-year, 19-year-old core dancer who got promoted uh, and then either has a great career or gets injured a couple of years later and has a short career? Like it's, it's, it's just impossible to really say why dancers get promoted unless you speak to directors and even when it comes to that the director might be might not be promoting in public favor they may be completely promoting in personal favor uh, i mean if anybody's been watching the fossey verdon uh tv show i love it it's really good i really enjoy it um i'm a little behind but in one of the recent episodes um and if this is <laughs> this isn't like a great spoiler alert, so if you haven't seen it, I think you can still listen to it. But there's a dancer that won't sleep with Mr. Fossey, um, and he takes her out of a part and puts somebody else into that spot. So uh, I, I now that we have more, uh, we have unions and we have many other rules in place. I hope that that would not happen these days. I'm sure it does very infrequently, but uh, just that type of thing just goes to show you like how. Uh, there really is no true basis for promotion. It's opinion of the person in charge. So yeah, this is my episode on demystifying promotions and telling you how they happen. I want to thank Robert from San Francisco yet again for offering this topic. It's uh, something that I, I wish I had talked about a while ago, but I'm glad that you brought it up because it uh, gave me an opportunity to talk about something that I'm, I love talking about and I think is really, really interesting. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm curious what people's thoughts are on this. If you agree with me, uh, send me a message and let me know if you don't uh, do the same if you've seen different situations that cause promotion or cause people not to go get promoted feel free to to also reach out to me and let me know your thoughts so yeah I hope that this episode offered you something new and interesting to listen to um, and with that I'm going to call a close to this episode I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod a Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find that at premierdancenetwork.com. And that's Premier with just an R. There's no E at the end of Premier. <sighs> 
what else? If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolus, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, which is at lifeoffreelancedancer.blogspot.com, and I wrote on there for five years about working as a freelance artist and independent contractor. I also have Dancing Off Stage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com, and I wrote about the second career of professional dancers, the post-performance career on that. I also have a YouTube channel where you can check out my choreography and you can find that by going to youtube.com and going into the search bar and typing in B. Corollis. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.